Welcome to this week's episode of the Admissions Uncovered podcast. It's the college admissions podcast for the students, by the students. As always, I'm your host, Michael Gao. My name has not changed since last week. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, whose names also have not changed from last week, Dominic and me. Now, before we dive into this week's episode, we again want to thank our sponsors, FreezeCrowd. FreezeCrowd is the go-to social media platform for college students. It's a great way to meet new people on your college campus and alumni, professors, and anybody with a .edu email. Go over to freezecrowd.com and make an account to meet new people and, of course, support the podcast. Now, for this week's episode, we want to talk about test-taking strategies for the ACT and the SAT. We know this is kind of testing season for a lot of uh, juniors headed into their senior year. We know this is kind of your last opportunity to take a test for the early decision round of applications. Now, we did do a previous episode on test taking, but it was a broader episode about choosing between the SAT and the ACT, when to take the test, how to get fee waivers, and other larger questions around testing. For this episode, we're going to be focused solely on test-taking strategies. So if you have larger questions about test-taking, head over to episode 9 of the Admissions Uncovered podcast, where we talk about those questions, and you can go over to admissionsuncovered.com and scroll down until episode 9 comes up on your screen. Now, let's jump right in onto how you can prepare for the test and how you take your test with smart strategies. So just to give you guys a little bit of background, I personally took the SAT twice, once during December of my junior year and once with my school in March. And I took the ACT in June. So um, it kind of depends on how many times you want to take it. We've had debates about whether um, there's a maximum amount of times you should take it before it starts looking looking bad. But um, just overall, I feel like Personally, with my experience with testing, the biggest thing I would say that really helped me is doing a lot of practice because with these standardized tests, most of the times you guys all know the content, you know how to answer these questions, but the thing that's limiting you from making a perfect score oftentimes is the timing. So we'll talk more about this later on about how you can um, learn to pace yourself, which comes with a lot of practice and just little strategies that will help you with your pacing. So I am kind of a very similar story. I also took the SAT twice. um, And after I took it two times, I got a 1550 and a 1560. So, you know, seeing no change, I didn't really feel the need to take it a third time. Then the fall of my senior year, my school actually offered an ACT at school. So I took it and ended up getting a 36 with very limited ACT specific preparation. So, you know, I lucked out um, and used that score for all of my schools. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty similar, uh, as you can see. All the, the all of us that have gone through the process before have taken these tests. I took the SAT three times. A little bit of a funny story behind that. So I also took the December test, and then I took the school day SAT, which was March seventh last year, and then I took the Saturday SAT on March tenth. Um, a lot of friends had uh, s- some stuff to say about that, but the March tenth one was the best score out of the three. So I, I guess it worked out that way. Um, I also took the ACT on the school day one, and I think out of all three of us, our ACT one was the stronger one of the SAT and ACT, which is kind of interesting. I definitely think it's tailored toward each person, but the testing strategy is pretty similar, and now we're going to get into some of the things you can do to help boost your score and prepare for the test. Uh, We've pretty much broken them down into three basic categories of 
strategies for preparing for the SAT and ACT. I'm going to call them the way before the test practice. So this is your initial studying and practicing for the test. And then you have your leading up to the test and then right during the test. So I'll talk about the first category, which usually, depending on the person, can be anywhere from um, six months before the test or uh, two or three months before the test. And this really is pretty simple. It's a lot of practice. But you also have to be very efficient in how you use your time wisely because we know um, it's going to be junior year. Usually during the fall of your junior year, you have a lot of your harder classes, a lot of APs. So finding time to practice for these, these standardized tests can be a little bit difficult. So, But I do suggest I think the best advice would be to take a lot of practice tests, whether that be through um, prep books. In my experience, just a little bit about the um, some of the prep books, Barron's usually will give you more challenging questions, in my opinion, than the actual tests. So if you want to prepare above and beyond, maybe you want to do Barron's, but sometimes um, it might not be as efficient to practice questions that are too hard or that are harder than the actual test because it can be kind of counterproductive. I think if you really want to go for something in the middle, using um, the Princeton Review is really good. But also, specifically for the SAT, I know Khan Academy has actually eight official tests that were released by College Board. So these are actually the the tests that come in the official College Board um, prep book, but they're free online. So I think that's a really good resource. You can take the first one to just kind of, without any preparation, to just kind of see where you are, which areas you need to improve on, and then use kind of the later tests to improve upon the areas that you're lacking in. There are also other online practice tests uh, and also online practice questions. So a few of the resources I found really helpful uh, for the SAT is one, there's a website called Crack SAT, which as the name implies, has cracked into a lot of SAT practice guides and stolen a lot of their questions and put them online. Um, so slightly illegal, but it's okay. Um, what I really love about them is that they split up all the practice passages into small sections so that instead of having to do an entire like hour-long reading section, you can instead just do one passage and quickly do pa- uh practice for the day. There's also a corresponding website for the ACT called Crack ACT that does the same thing. Another great online resource is the SAT question of the day. It's an iPhone app and an Android app, which gives you a question every single day. It pops up with a notification. It's super quick, super easy, and make sure that you have really easy but consistent practice. Um, If you don't want to download an app, I think they also post it on their Instagram page, so follow the College Board on Instagram. Instead of preparing on your own, you can have a, another person help you or an accountability system behind it. There's a couple of ways to do this. One of them would be an in-person course base uh, prep thing like a KD prep or any of the local test prep companies. You also have online courses, which basically do the same thing, but it's it's offered cheaper because there's no in-person thing. Uh, my favorite of this is Prep Scholar. Prep Scholar, if you're listening, we love you. Sponsor uh, us, <laughs> please. Uh, but I, I personally did it myself. I did not use it fully, which I probably should have. But from what I did use, it was very helpful to help improve my score. They also have a uh, cash back guarantee. There, there's a couple terms and conditions behind that, but it is a nice little reassurement behind it that if you do everything and it, you still don't improve, they will refund you the full price of the course. Additionally, you can hire personal tutors, which while the most costly of the three, I think will probably give you the best instruction 
Um, so it, it all comes down to where on the spectrum of cost you want to fall as well as individual instruction. Yeah, so I do that one-on-one tutoring both in person here in New York City for the rest of the semester, um, back in Dallas over the summer, as well as through Skype and online tutoring. And the one thing I've noticed with online tutoring um, as an advantage over things like big classroom-style prep courses uh, is that with personal tutoring, you have a tutor who's not just going to feed you strategies, but instead is going to be able to customize strategies for you. So, you know, for me, I always do share, you know, what I've done, but if it doesn't work for the student, we can work together to customize a method that works for them. You're just not going to have that when you have, you know, a 20, 30 kid classroom like you would maybe at an in-person prep center. Um, and Michael, you did you did KD, right? Yeah, I did do KD. Um, and Can you so, tell us a bit about your experience with that? Yeah, so KD is one of the, you know, test prep centers in um, Dallas, Texas, mostly suburban Dallas. It's you know, one of the biggest names in the space um, in our area. And what I noticed about them is that, you know, this is the most honest feedback you're going to get is that they are very, very systematic. They they have strategies for every single little thing. And sometimes it just is not necessary. So, you know, for example, part of their method is that you have to do vocabulary for two hours every week. Well, that is not something that is necessary for the new SAT because of the way it has changed the vocabulary to be tied down to the common core level two standards, which are just vocab words that we use in day-to-day conversation, but they still have it. And it's part of their method and they really encourage their kids to do it even if it isn't necessary. And so my issue with them is because there's so much fluff, they force a lot of the kids to do things they don't need to do. And there's no way to customize it just because... You know, you're one kid in a million. You know, that's the reason why I think one-on-one prep is much more helpful. So if you're interested on doing some one-on-one tutoring with me, you can head over to gowadmissions.com, learn more about uh, my strategies, my methods. You can see a practice. Um, you can see a sample lesson that I've done with a student. You can see some reviews on there. Um, and if you're interested, you can contact me at the contact form over there. So that's gowadmissions.com. So now that we've talked about the things that you can do kind of a few months before the test, when you're getting to, let's say, a month before the test or two weeks before the test, I think this is really the time that you need to start doing at least, well, in my opinion, what I did was I split up uh, one test between two days. So like either doing reading on Monday and then doing the math section on Tuesday if it's for the SAT, because I think what was really useful and helpful about doing that is you kind of get into the mentality and the routine of doing these questions. It's it's really common sense if you do a lot of problems multiple times and you just naturally you should get better at it and um, get better with your pacing. So I think um, before for if you if for the past few months you've kind of like been only doing it on the weekends here and there a few questions here and there. One or two weeks before the test is definitely the time where you should sit down um, after you finish your homework during the night and really just do big chunks of a test at once because this is really the time that you can um, work on your pacing, get these little tips and strategies here and there so that you'll be prepared for test day. Yeah, and so in my experience working with students, um, I found that when students try to cram in practice on one day of the week, and cram it into this giant marathon-long session on Saturday where they do like five practice tests in one day, review them all in one day, (laughs) and for the rest of the week don't think about the SAT. It never works because in your marathon session, you get tired, your brain stops functioning, you're no longer imitating the test environment, and it's just a disaster. So instead, you should really be 
you know, spreading out that practice throughout the week. So, you know, what need did doing stuff throughout the week, what I recommend, recommend my students do, which is create a schedule for themselves for the days that they have more time and doing at least one passage or one set of maybe 10 math questions every single night. The other way to help force you to maintain consistent practice is one thing that I mentioned earlier, which is the daily SAT question of the day app, which, you know, I, I think is great for anybody. And one thing before we move on to the strategies during the test, make sure that when you're doing practice tests to emulate all the same strategies that we're talking about during the test, if you can mimic the same environment with the exact timing and the exact strategies you plan on using during the test, it's going to make during the test a lot easier than trying to just remember these strategies that you have never practiced before. Definitely. So now let's talk through what we want to do during the test. So here we want to talk about strategies you can do to make the right answer, strategies that can help you out if you're not really sure how to approach a question, how you start a question, those types of things. So as mentioned, so as I mentioned, like at the beginning of this episode, it's really important that you have good timing and making sure that you have the right pacing for each section. So we're just going to kind of go through each section, reading reading and math for the SAT and like reading, writing, math and science for the ACT, because there are little tips here and there that we've gotten from our own experience taking these tests ourselves that really have, in my opinion, have helped us work on our timing. So I'm going to start off with reading. Um, so it depends on what kind of reader you are. Some people read faster than others and just just naturally that way. In my case, I was kind of a slow reader. I don't, I didn't get a chance to, I guess, read as much that as I would like. So it was really the biggest focus for me as I was practicing for the test to focus on reading. So what I found to be helpful at first, I would always read the entire passage all the way through, then kind of go to the questions and go back and look at stuff in more depth. But in my case, I think it actually was helpful to kind of skim over the passage, maybe read um, the first few sentences and the last sentence of each paragraph, and then go to the questions. Because some of these questions, they'll ask about specific lines. So some people have said they found it useful to go to those questions and do those questions first because you can just go to that line and base your answer off of that line and not have to spend the entire time reading the passage. Or you could read the question first, then go back to the passage and just kind of do it like that. And I think in the end, if you do bits and pieces, you'll kind of get a gist of what the passage is. So that's just something that um, kind of helped me get a higher score in the reading section. Yeah, one great thing about practice is that you can implement multiple different strategies over time to see which one is best for you. Personally, my favorite way to approach reading was to just read the passage all the way through and then go and do the questions and then look back to the passage when I needed to answer the questions. Uh, obviously, it worked different for me and Michael probably ha has his own way to do it and every other kid has their own method towards it. I would recommend taking each strategy you think would be remotely good for you and then do a practice section with that or maybe just a, pa a couple passages with it and see which one you like best and then start using that in your practice. So um, I, I usually recommend or at least start with my students a little bit more of a you know structured way of annotation than uh, Dominic might recommend. Um, so what I think is the goal of annotation is not for you to analyze the passage in a way you might do at school. You might do 
you know, close reading, quote unquote, in your English language or literature classes. Instead, I recommend the annotations to just be a check to make sure that you understood what you read. Because I noticed that when I was reading particularly dense history passages or science passages, that I would read a few sentences and realize that I had no clue what I just read. And to prevent myself from doing that again, I forced myself to write a little note to myself at each paragraph. What's the one or two words that I think represents the paragraph the best? What's my gut check after reading that paragraph? What's the word that is remaining in my mind about that paragraph? And that forces me to really understand the paragraph, otherwise I can't come up with a word or so. The other thing I recommend is circling words that are repeated because that can speak to the main idea. So if you see a word repeated often, then that can be an indication that that's a overarching theme or topic in the passage. Going through the passage and then heading on to the questions, there's some strategy that you can implement while answering the questions. Some people like to underline and circle important words in there. They like to compare different answer choices. My favorite method in tackling answer choices is to go with process of elimination. I think taking out ones that either don't make sense or ones that are just wrong from the passage of what you've read immediately really helps narrow down the answer choices for when you go back to the passage and look at it. Yeah, and one thing I would add on something like the process of elimination um, is that you can actually make that strategy a little bit more rigorous for yourself. So I think what a lot of people do is they read the answer choice, and then after reading the entire long answer choice sentence, they ask themselves, does it fit the passage? Does it not fit the passage, right? And they think of it very broadly. Um, what that does is it allows room for your own interpretation to come in. You add steps in for the passage. You do the work the author should have done in their writing. And that's not good because you want to stay as consistent to the text as possible. You should not be adding anything about yourself, your own views, your own knowledge of the world into the text. And so I think the solution to this is instead of eliminating entire answer choices, eliminating words within the answer choices. I call this parsing. So instead of reading the entire answer choice first, read clause by clause. Read the first clause of an answer choice, you know, the verb or, you know, the adjective clause, and just ask yourself, does this piece of the answer choice fit with the passage? Is it in the passage? Is it consistent with the main idea of the passage? And put a check mark or an X mark above that clause. And then move on to the next one. Is is the next clause, is is the is the noun that comes next, is is the verb that comes next, is that consistent with the text? Is that consistent with its main ideas? Check or X and then move on. The first time you see an X, you eliminate that answer choice. And what that forces you to do is it forces you to prove to yourself why an answer choice is wrong rather than just saying, you know, I had a good feeling because that's not enough. You want to make sure you have evidence for why you're eliminating the answer. One other strategy I like for answering the multiple choice questions is to, after reading the question, to come up with an answer in your head that fits the question. Assuming that you've read through the passage and have knowledge about the passage and employed the different techniques about making sure you understand what you read, you'll probably have a good idea of what the answer should be. And that way you're already going into the question, finding an answer that matches what you like. Yeah, and some of these, like the strategies that Michael and Dominic have mentioned may seem kind of tedious to you, like the parsing through answer choices. But like, as we've mentioned a lot, the only way that you'll find a method that works for you is through practice. But definitely don't, I get. I would say, let these strategies kind of take up too much time, because that's the thing, like you shouldn't spend too much time on one question, on one answer choice, trying to eliminate, do all these different strategies. It's really about balancing um, what you think works best for you. 
So now we're kind of going to move on to the writing section, which is in both the SAT and the ACT. And even though it says writing, this is basically kind of the grammar section. So some of these things will just have to be hopefully things that you've learned um, throughout middle school, throughout high school, with rules about commas, dashes, when to use specific punctuation. But another big part of it is the vocabulary. So Michael mentioned this previously. Um, The SAT probably like eight to ten years ago was really heavy on vocabulary. They use words that almost no one knew. So I remember like my cousin would have a big um, box of flashcards and just learning, um, memorizing vocab words because the SAT could give you the most random word that you've never heard of before. But now with the redesign, it's there's still vocab, but it's more about using context clues. So I know in our experience taking it, you can you don't have to specifically, I guess, know exactly what the word means, but hopefully you can use some context clues. Usually they'll have one or two answer choices with words that you do know and you can automatically eliminate. So I think um, that's one way to go about it, using that same process of elimination and especially using context clues. One thing I'll add about this section is there's only so many different things that they can ask you. With the math, there's so many different questions they could ask. With science, they could ask about any graph. With the reading, you could read any passage and have any answers. But there's only so many grammar rules that can be tested, and you'll start picking up on a lot of them when you do practice. So one thing you'll realize as you're going through practice tests is that you'll find the same mistakes, either comma splices or rewriting sentences that or summarizing paragraphs that you keep messing up. For example, one one question I know that will always be on a test is checking for redundancy and answers. It'll ask you to rewrite a sentence, and then they'll have four different answer choices, three of which say the same word five different times, and then one of them is is the best summarization of that sentence. So make sure that you're reviewing your tests to see which grammar rules you're messing with because they will ask the same ones again. Definitely. And, you know, we just don't have time on this podcast to go into depth about each grammar rule. Um, But once you start doing the test, you'll get a good sense of what's going to happen. The one big top level piece of advice I think works for any type of writing question is to plug the answer choices in where the correction is, right? Because what the writing section asks you to do is do some edits, right? Um, and the right answer choice is the one that fixes the grammar problem, the style problem, or the logical flow problem. So the right answer, once you make that change, should flow well and should make sense. So plug each answer choice into where the text you're replacing is, read that sentence, and if it fixes the problem and makes sense, it's the right answer. I think this is the best way to do it because, you know, sometimes we don't know each, you know, the minutia of grammar. It's not something I think is taught in public schools that often, certainly not in my public school. So we do really have to rely on our own own gut sense of it. And one way to do that is just by reading it out loud to yourself in your head. If it sounds right, probably is right. The only exception I would make to that is commas, because we tend to add more commas in than we need to, and that's a product of poor elementary school teachers telling us to add a comma wherever there's a pause. Uh, that is incorrect. We we pause frequently for rhetorical effect, where we do not need a comma. Uh, so that's one instance where I think instead of just putting it, just reading it out loud, you should actually look to some comma rules. But in general, I think plugging it in and reading it out loud to yourself will get you 
you know, a solid chunk of the questions right. Or reading it in your head, because like, you're going to get some pretty weird stares yeah. if you're reading it out loud <laughs> yourself during the test. And yeah. remember, practice how you take the test. Eh, I mean, I read it out loud in the testing center. Who cares? Yikes. That's Michael. <laughs> hey, Michael, uh, so you have no friends, right? Because you're always texting me, and I'm in high school, even though I'm older than you, but that's a whole different story. Uh, No. Sure. Look, I, I've connected with the college students from all over the country on Freeze Crowd. Freeze Crowd? What's that? It sounds like an ice cream shop. No, Dominic. It's a safe, secure, and private yearbook platform where you can break the ice with people at your school. Bro, that sounds so cool, but yearbooks in high school always cost money. How much does Freeze Crowd cost? It is totally free. No strings attached. And best of all, there aren't even pesky advertisers trying to sell you uh, toothbrush subscriptions or audiobooks. Yo, I gotta get this. How do I sign up? Well, all you need is your .edu email. Get over to freezecrowd.com to join the fun. Wait, so you're saying I can connect with my future classmates with only my .edu email address even before I step on campus? Absolutely. Once you get your .edu email, once you get accepted, you can find your friends, look at their pictures, and maybe even meet up. See you at freezecrowd.com to break the ice. Okay, well, let's talk about the math section. Uh, so Yay, the math section is uh, Dominic's favorite, I guess. <laughs> the math section, um, you know, there's a lot of different concepts going on. We're not going to teach you about triangles, rectangles. We don't have time Aww. for that. If you do, contact me at gabmissions.com. <laughs> but we do have some top-level strategies that I think are going to help you. So any thoughts from you guys? One of the biggest things that I would say first off is to look at the formula sheet that they give you. It's usually, I think, on the first page of your math section, and these will most of the times have all the equations that you'll need to solve these problems, whether it be um, area and volume, blah, 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 special properties, trig properties. Just make sure that you take a look at this formula sheet, um, like say, as you're practicing so that you know which formulas that you need and which formulas that might not be on there and that you need to memorize. And oftentimes, I think, so when approaching the math section, what I usually do is I'll, if it's like an algebra problem, I'll just like solve it out before I look at the answer choices. And as like Dominic said before, a lot of times you should just try to work out the problems and then look at the answer choices and making good use of the formulas that they give you in the beginning. One of my favorite things, one of my many favorite things about math as opposed to the reading sections is that there's always going to be a right answer with these math questions. If you're not getting the right answer, that means you're doing something wrong. With the reading, you you might need to pick the, the best choice. There might be two things that could somewhat be the right answer, and then you need to pick the right one. With math, there's only going to be one number that's the correct answer choice. So make sure that if you're not getting it, to go back through your math and make sure that you have the right calculation. Yeah, and the final maybe two strategies I think are really useful is one, whenever you're stuck uh, with an algebra problem or a geometry problem or any type of math problem, just play around with the equations and the numbers. If you see a parentheses, distribute it out, get rid of the parentheses. If you see a long quadratic formula uh, equation, you know, see if you can factor it. Just do something to the equation that's mathematically correct. You know, with, with a shape, see if there's any additional information you can glean from the information that you're given. You know, a lot of the math tests, you know, there's, there, there's not one way to do every type of question. So you have to find the right way just by, you know, doing stuff with the equations and hoping, you know, the right way will fall out of it. And it's not scientific. 
it's it's not the firmest answer, but I think it's the best thing you can do if you don't know the approach right off the bat. The next thing I'll suggest is one thing I've noticed with my students is that there are so many silly mistakes on the math section because, yeah. you know, in a systems of linear equations problem, it asks for x plus 2 instead of x and people write x is the answer right like these are all these small things that when people realize they got it wrong for that reason they get super frustrated but that's just the nature of this test right it's not just testing your conceptual knowledge in math it's also testing your ability to read and not make silly <laughs> mistakes it just is so my best tip for stopping silly mistakes is what i like to call micro checking at each step of the process so you know for instance each new line you do in an algebra problem each new line you do in a geometry proof type thing you know do a little bit of a gut check does this make sense am i doing this right did i do something silly and it doesn't need to be a long like oh let me rewrite every single step it just needs to be short you know like one second one millisecond type thing it's like i just wrote down an equation let me look at it and make sure it's correct it's these small moments that make sure you don't make the dumb mistake and you know more specifically, right after you write an answer down, your micro check should be make sure that what you have what you have written down matches what the question is asking for. So that you know, instead of writing x down for the answer, you make sure you write down x plus two if that's what the question is asking. One thing I want to add is specifically for the math section, there will be some questions that are just by nature harder than others. So what I what I found if you kind of find yourself spending one or two minutes on one problem and you can't seem to get the answer, then maybe you should just start that question, circle that question, and move on and do the later ones. Because they're all um, weighted the same. So you should go on and just go through and do all the questions that you know how to do. Take some time, think about it. If you just don't know it, don't waste time. Move on to the next question. Because what I found is some people might focus too much on one question and then look up and be like, oh no, I only have 10 minutes left for like 20 questions. So what you should do is just, if you don't, if you just can't seem to get the answer, move on. And then at the end, if you have time, um, come back, look at the question. And even if you don't have time, make sure, this is one thing, make sure that you answer every single question because there isn't a penalty for guessing. So might as well pick your favorite letter, I don't know, C or something. And um, just go back and mark it if you're really desperate and you don't have time to finish up those questions. And if you're going to make a guess, make sure that the number makes sense. For example, if you're trying to find a leg of a triangle and two of the answer choices are, are longer than the hypotenuse, obviously that can't be the answer. So even if you still have to guess, make sure that you're picking a number that could theoretically be the right answer. Yeah, sometimes... Just like looking at the answer choices, if you can't specifically kind of figure out a mathematical way to get it, sometimes I guess I'm, I'm like, okay, that seems pretty reasonable. Um, well, like most of the times they aren't drawn to scale, but if you kind of use some of your logic and reasoning, oftentimes you can make a pretty good educated guess. Yep, I think those are definitely good tips for the math section. Um, so before we move on to the science section of the ACD, I just want to make clear that I think the strategies for the reading, writing, and the math section apply both to the ACT and to the SAT. Now, I think the ACT is a lot more rigorous on timing, so you do want to test these strategies to make sure they work in the time crunch you have for the ACT. But largely, I think they can also be used on the, the same way as on the SAT uh, on the 
ACT. Uh, but let's dive into the ACT science section. What are some strategies that worked for you two? <laughs> so the the ACT science section, if you had a limited time, it'd be super easy. You're basically just looking at charts and graphs and everything. But I think the time pressure is the most difficult on this section. I think that's why it was my lower scoring category on ACT. Just because you're so rushed to pick your choices, there's really no time to go back and check. And you really just rush to get through the first time. I think a lot of the answers, 90% of the questions are probably just going to be directly from the charts or graphs or whatever they're asking you. The other 10% will actually come from the written material. So a lot of the time, go ahead and look right at the chart. The way they get you with the questions as far as difficulty is going to be what the chart describes, the axes, what, what the data is. Make sure that you're checking for it to be the correct data make sure you don't need to turn days into months or years or anything and then from there it should be pretty straightforward one thing i would say about the science section is sometimes i feel like people get lost in the science section thinking oh no i suck at physics i suck at chemistry i suck at bio blah 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 and what dominic was saying is like in my opinion a lot of times it's more of kind of a reading and seeing if you can read graphs Mm -hmm. type of test so don't get too freaked out if you're reading this passage about something that seems really complicated to you. I don't know. They really like astronomy and stuff like that. A lot of times you can just go to the questions and it would be like, look at figure, blah, blah, blah. And all you have to do is like know how to read a graph. And I think like Dominic would probably agree. I think we both use this strategy where you kind of look at the questions first, then you go back to the passage. Because I felt as I was reading the passage, sometimes I would get really confused, focus too much on little specific details within the passage, and then I look up and I'm out of time. So it really depends on um, just kind of your pacing, as we've said a lot. And sometimes knowing how to use common knowledge or like the basics that you learn during science class, because it is a science, kind of the science test. So some of the basics say like chemistry or or, um, or, I don't know, physics can, can be applied to uh, this specific test. And the tip I'll give is because there are a lot of graphs that happen uh, on the science section, it's really important to actually understand what the graphs are saying, potentially even more importantly than understanding what the text is saying. Um, so do look at the graph and see if there are any trends on the graph. You know, be able to categorize graphs and also data on a table as you know, upward trending, downward trending, or no no trend or no correlation. But yeah, I think these are great strategies for all the different sections on both of these tests. Um, and I think the final piece of advice we want to give is that all of this test, particularly on the ACT, is going to be about pacing. Um, and if you feel yourself taking too long on a question, get off that question. Because these questions are meant to be solved you know, very quickly, 30 seconds to a minute, maybe even a minute 30 if it's a super hard question. So chances are, if you're spending a lot of time on that question, you're thinking about it the wrong way. You're applying math concepts the wrong way. You're doing a math process that's too complicated, an equation that's too complicated, trying to solve an equation the wrong way. Um, So in that instance, you want to stop digging the rabbit hole for yourself, dig yourself out, pull yourself out, and ask yourself, is there a better or quicker way? And if there isn't, and you've already invested a lot of time into it, don't sink more in time in because you might not get that question right. Instead, move on to the next one, right? Get off of questions. Don't, don't, you know, spend too much time on one question. Before we end the podcast, I think Dominic has a memorial service he would like to perform. Okay, Michael. Well... Um, I just want to say 
we talked about it before as far as what we're gonna it was in the what do we do now episode episode 30 michael what episode number is this what i don't know 30 it's the 30 dot 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 all right whatever We've talked about it before in our Netflix recommendations in a previous episode. Uh, Nia and I proclaimed our love for Hawaii Five O. Michael, just uncultured swine, did not appreciate <laughs> the lovely show. I've never but watched it, but I don't think I'd like cop it. shows. I love. I cop do shows. have to say, it was taken off of Netflix this morning. Today is February twenty fourth, twenty nineteen. I will now have to find an alternative streaming service. Poor Dominic. To watch. We have to hear show. a story about. Him getting some breakfast and not. I have my all right. I have my breakfast. So sad. I have my noise canceling headphones on. I'm literally crying right now. Where I'm are just the gonna tissues? Gonna watch my show. Have my breakfast. It's gonna be a beautiful Sunday morning. Oh, Go on no. there, and it's just not there. It was oh so my sad. goodness, Dominic! I almost cried. What will you do? I am so sad for you. You can watch Law and Order, SVU. Very good. Or you could it's expand your repertoire. With the crown from Netflix. Wait, is Hawaii Five on, on Prime? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But if it, if it got taken off, they're probably gonna. I don't know why they took it off. Not enough Dominics in the anyway, world. Michael, give us an outro. All right, let's give this a moment of silence. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode about test-taking strategies. We hope we've given you some helpful hints about how you can score. You know, at eight hundred on each section of the SAT, or even a 36 on the ACT. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider... If you found this if you found this podcast helpful, please head over to bit.ly slash aupodapple or our page on iTunes to give us a five-star rating. Every single five-star rating helps new listeners find the show, helps with search algorithms, super boring stuff, but just give us five stars on iTunes. Pretty, pretty please. Uh, finally, we'd like to thank our friends over at freeze crowd they made this podcast possible by sponsoring it so head over to freezecrowd.com to join college kids across the country alumni from the across the country professors from the cross country on one of the best online yearbook platforms there on one of on the best online yearbook platform there is that's freezecrowd.com thanks so much for listening to the show and we will see you next week Everybody on mono, by the way. Um, I don't yeah, want you to get I mono. Am. I want you to be on mono. I am. He is on the mono. mono. Okay, good. Mono. Y'all don't have mono, right? Because that'd be bad. How do people feel about you saying y'all at Columbia? Uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> people point that out, and I usually don't notice it <laughs> because I'm just so Texan, I guess. <laughs>